Hi, I'm Craig Turner, host of the Founders for Good podcast. I've spent years working in the tech for good space, and in that time I've had the privilege of interviewing inspiring impact founders, and I want to share those conversations with you. Why? Because these are the people leading the way when it comes to solving the world's most pressing issues, from climate to homelessness to health to education and much more. In these conversations, I dig into why these issues exist, possible solutions, how the founder and their business is approaching the problem, and their best kept secrets on how to build a for good company. My hope is that this will inspire you to be part of the solution and do your bit in making the world a better place. Thanks for tuning in to the Founders for Good podcast. Asad Hamir is the CEO and founder of Click. Growing up, his family always focused on getting more out of less. Alongside his dad, who works in IT, Asad grew up with a passion for tech and sustainability. The idea of Click came to Asad when he was looking for a more sustainable solution for managing his IT for one of his other businesses. When he further explored the market and understood the impact electronic waste was having on the planet, he set out to provide a better solution. Click is building a circular economy for IT, where every last bit of value is extracted from devices and software, whilst minimising their impacts on the planet. Click reuses and resells refurbished tech devices, whilst also looking holistically at how businesses are sustainably managing their IT. Asad chats about the scary impact of e-waste, becoming a serial entrepreneur, appearing on Dragon's Den, his biggest failure, and being a B Corp advocate. Hey Asad, thanks for coming on the show. How are you? Yeah, really good. Real pleasure to be on here. So really excited to, to have a chat. Great. Yeah, me too. I um, Obviously, we, just before we came on, I was chatting to you saying, like, I know you for your click business, which is uh, creating a circular economy for IT. But then doing my research, realized you've got a number of businesses, <laughs> even been on Dragon's Den before. So got a lot to chat to you about. Um, but want to start with just understanding a bit more about you. So keen to understand, I guess, like what events, influences, moments shaped you into becoming a serial entrepreneur? And secondly, like where, where did the passion for like tech and sustainability come from? Because that seems to be a common theme through most of the businesses as well. Yeah, definitely. So um, mainly from my parents. So parents came from East Africa, so Tanzania and Uganda. Uh, so coming here in the, the 70s, like mum was like, you know, uh, Idi Amin, uh, who's the kind of dictator in Uganda kind of throughout all the Asians at that point. Um, so they came here with nothing and my dad, dad was similar and, um, you, you had to do more with less at that point because, you know, they were, you know, many families all living in one house and, you know, like getting money together and all trying to create a new life almost. And, um, yeah, like, uh, you know, through that, I guess we being raised in those households where, you know, sustainability is actually a key part of, you know, how you're raised. Like I remember mum would like, um, you know, the ketchup bottle, for example, like, you know, put water in it, like use every drop and, you know, like uh, secondhand clothes all the way down, you know, hand-me-downs and, you know, just, we didn't think of it at that point as sustainability, right? It was like, you know, saving money and, you know, using, using, um, using everything to the max and not wasting anything. So I, I believe sustainability has kind of been in built in, in, like, I guess how British Asians have progressed in the UK. Um, and so it's a big part of, big part of my culture. I think tech uh, came from my dad. So my dad was an IT engineer. Uh, my mum, uh, my mum's an optometrist. That's why you'll always see me in funky glasses. And that's why I did optometry at university. Uh, but with dad, we always had tech around the house. So we always had, um, you know, like computers and um, things that, you know, he'd be bringing home from, people that he was repairing and so like through him i used to like hold the screwdriver so he'd like open up the the pc and like he'd say hold this and unscrew that and 
you know, and it's it's um, when you when you see the inside of a of a of a PC, and I'm going to say a word that probably not many people will associate with the inside of a PC, but beautiful. It's beautiful when you open it up and you've got a motherboard and um, you know the insides are actually interesting. Like a lot of brands now are starting to uh, actually include the design of the inside of products as a kind of way of um, designing products. So it's a tech brand called Nothing, which is all, which is um, trying to focus on you know, uh, see-through um, tech and, and various things. But, um, yeah, so dad, dad um, taught me how to repair and taught me how to, like, um, you know, gave me that passion, really. Uh, and then the the turning point for me, like, my dad actually had a bit of a stop-start career in IT and tech and didn't want me to go into that sector. And he told me to go into optometry. Um, and mum mom had a, a small chain of opticians, which she grew with the family. And so um, I was, you know, everyone in the family is destined to be an optometrist. And then we got like the world record for the number of optometrists in our family. It's like 45 of us. Wow. Um, and uh, yeah, like I think we got to apply for it, like, uh, but it's self-proclaimed at the moment. Um, and then, yeah, like Steve Jobs got up on stage in, in my third year of uni and said, here's iPhone. And um, at that point I was like, um, you know, and I, I'd love, I'd love tech, you know, all the way through um uh you know school and college and stuff and so i finished my degree and and then at that point i was like mom i'm going into tech uh, and telco and she didn't understand it because she was like glasses you know everyone's always going to need glasses phones everyone's got a phone right like you know why do they need to buy another phone i was like mom you know don't worry you don't you don't understand but like um you know phones is where it's going to go and um so yeah and that's when i started my first business at 21 21, 22, uh, in telecoms uh, as an O2, uh, O2 partner, or well, at that point it was called BT Cellnet. So that was, that was the start of the journey. Amazing. Um, and then, yeah, like, yeah, from there, I, you know, I, my first venture, I, I grew to uh, about 200 people. So, um, uh, so at the age of 21, 22, uh, to start a business in an industry, which is, you know, fast growth, uh, the time iPhone didn't have any market. Uh, penetration um and um so you know we were essentially coming in to give apple that market penetration and so you know over the years i think i've sold over you know a million and million and a half iphones um but um yeah like um i was part of that i guess partner team at that time or partner businesses that o2 had uh to go and grow that penetration we were b2b b2c um, and I was, I had the hunger, right? At 21, 22, you're fearless. You just, you just drive it. And, um, uh, yeah. And basically, uh, grew it to 200 people probably by how old was I? Probably about 27, 28 years old. Um, and which was an amazing experience because you learn so much around leadership and, um, growth and, you know, stuff like that. And then since then I've, I've done a few other things, obviously like, um, the journey's kind of now led me on to click. Uh, today but uh yeah that's the background that's pretty phenomenal and i'm going to dig into that a little bit more later on um but i guess uh better talk to you about um kind of the the problem space that click focus on which is electronic waste because you hear a lot about food waste and clothing um related to climate change e-waste seems to be this thing that's kind of like passed us by that we don't really think about but the more you think about as consumers and businesses like we're only relying more and more on technology can you give um uh, the listeners like an overview or, or a snapshot of like what how how big is the problem with electronic waste or e-waste and whether that be like uk centric or just in general 
Yeah, it's massive. Um, and it's been, it's been building for years and years. And obviously the proliferation of uh, the pandemic uh, and the move to hybrid working uh, led to a massive increase because people then at that point moved from like desktops to laptops um, and, you know, or chucked away their old, old tech and decided they needed a new shiny laptop. And so um, the UK is actually the worst nation now officially or on track to be officially the worst nation in the world per capita when it comes to electronic waste um, and um, not, not obviously total, but per capita per, uh, uh, nationally. So they, they, I think Norway was second. They're now on track to overtake them. So, um, so um, not, not a laughing matter, but um, yeah, like uh, it's, it's now the most toxic form of waste also in waste, waste plants. Um, like often, you know, when uh, batteries or tech is not disposed of, uh, properly it leads to a lot of fires in recycling plants um because you've got lithium iron uh, inside of it and most of all is the amount of minerals and materials that are going to waste inside of it uh so you know there's so many rare materials uh, you know so many components from the periodic table that are in inside a, an iphone gold platinum precious metals i think the stat was 60 billion um uh, pounds of uh, wasted materials uh, are, are not recycled on an annual basis. Seventeen um, percent of tech is only only seventeen percent is recycled at the moment. So eighty three percent is is not. Um, and you know, inherent in businesses, unfortunately, like if you think of like businesses and how they use tech, like there'd normally be a two to three year asset cycle. So um, businesses would normally change their tech out because they want to make sure employees are staying ahead of the game um, and, you know, like upgrading it, repairing it, all that stuff. Um, it's hard. Like there aren't, there aren't many, and this is what led, led me to create Click. Like there are not many companies that you can go to that, you know, can look after that whole device asset lifecycle and help you extend it. Um, and uh, the, the hardware manufacturers make it quite hard for you to integrate software products into uh, refurbished devices and you know, secondhand devices, they encourage you to buy new devices. So the whole system is is basically set up to just keep on buying, uh, using and throwing away. Um, but it needs to change because, you know, um, you know, it's, it's becoming, uh, you know, a massive issue. Um, you know, the waste of materials, the, um, you know, the, um, yeah, you know, all, all the tech that's going to waste. And, you know, more than anything, like, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of people out there as well that don't have access to tech, um, you know, like so many people in the UK and, and globally that are digitally excluded. So there's a lot of people that could use that technology, um, you know, and, um, you know, that could help them. So massive, massive issue. Um, and, you know, um, there's a lot of focus on the consumer space, um, but there wasn't a lot of focus on the B2B space. And, and that's where where I felt that you know we can make a real difference with Click, um, you know, really helping businesses, making it simpler for them to be more sustainable. Um, and yeah, we started on that journey about 2019, um, basically to to try and make a difference. And with uh, I guess that this category of electronic waste. Um, do you find that there's a certain type of device that is worse than others, whether that's just purely based on like the volumes, for example, there's so many iPhones like that, that's the worst part within this category, or is it like laptops, printers, stuff that's just actually harder to break down or is it just all big part of the problem? 
So um, actually, like all the devices have a lot more um, uh, materials in there that are worth more, like can be recycled and, um, you know, especially like a lot more gold and a lot more platinum. So a lot of people think that their old tech is actually worthless and you should just throw it away. No, like it's really important that you recycle, recycle a lot of that old stuff. Um, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of materials that can be gained and a lot of that stuff that can be put back into a circular, um, way. And so that, you know, if you look at now, a lot of Apple's new products, they're using recycled materials. Um, and you know, it's really important that we start to, uh, you know, build that circularity, um, you know, in our kind of, um, behaviors when it comes to technology. Um, the problem with the new stuff is that it's becoming more and more harder, more expensive to repair. So um, if you look at Apple's new products, for example, they're, they're serializing every single component uh, inside the product. So it, what that means is that when you, when you have a screen that breaks or when you have a component that breaks, you have to go back to Apple for that component. And they're trying to patrol that whole supply chain, which then makes it you know, much more expensive to repair your device. And you know, if you're facing the cost of repairing and then buying something new is you know, only, you know, a hundred quid more or, you know, whatever it is, consumers or businesses are now going, right, what's the point? I might as well just buy a new product. So there's problems at kind of uh, both ends of the scale. Um, you know, and Apple doing a great job and many of the manufacturers doing a great job of also adopting more recycled materials. Um, but at the same time, you know, they're obviously a commercial business, right? So they, they need to push more device sales. And their business model is not circular. They're about, you know, producing new. If you go to their website, their refurbished products are right at the bottom, you know, a little link at the bottom, and they're not trying to push that. So they're kind of conflicted in, in many ways. And um, they're facing pressure from the European Union and regulators to, you know, uh, be more sustainable. And, you know, as the authority in technology, they should be. Um, but the business model is conflicted. And that's going to be the big challenge of of these times is how you get these big businesses to change um they have to move towards a, a truly circular model um, and you've seen it with many of them where the likes of apple are developing different revenue streams they i think you know they're obviously smart businesses and they would have recognized that this problem will come um, you know uh if you look at tech it's been five years behind fashion and other industries from a sustainability point of view um, and it was always going to come but it's now on their doorstep. They they now need to you know really adopt some of this change, and hopefully the small players like us can help uh, bring attention to the problem, can you know uh, raise raise awareness with businesses, and you know if we can if we can do that and create that groundswell from consumers and businesses, then hopefully that creates a change with them as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that make, makes a lot of sense. Like, yeah, you need the pressure on the manufacturers and the people that are selling these products need the education and shift from like a consumer and business like buying behavior perspective the the like the like, last layer i look at is like the the ability to recycle like you mentioned that a lot of these have valuable minerals and metals in them how yeah. how advanced are we when it comes to actually the ability to take those materials back out of these products like is that also an area we need to invest more in or is that actually in quite a good place yeah really good point so um that process of being able to take stuff out of the devices um has to start with the design. So the design of the products needs to be designed in a way so that it's easy to extract those materials and easy to extract that component 
that's broken or whatever it is. And a great example of this is a business called Fairphone. Um, so Fairphone is a modular smartphone and just recently released a uh, modular headphone uh, solution. So the future of design has to be designed more sustainably so that we can extract and you know recycle uh, materials. We have to also adopt more uh, recycle materials into that supply chain. Uh, in terms of how advanced it is today, um, there are there are many recycling plants, um, and uh, the key thing with tech also is that it may not be fast enough for you today, but there will be someone else that may be able to use it. So what we actively encourage is, you know, don't don't just you know if it's slowed down or whatever, don't just stick it in the cupboard. Um, make sure you proactively recycle it. It will have value as well. Like typically, if your if your Apple product is less than six or seven years old, it's gonna ha- it's gonna be worth a few hundred quid. Um, so you're also leaving money on the table, which is the last thing any entrepreneur wants to do, right? Um, so that's another incentive to why you should recycle. Um, and then um, you know, if it's Windows, probably about five to six years, Windows devices tend to depreciate that little bit faster. So with recycling, there's there's one aspect of getting all the materials out and all that kind of stuff, but there's the other bit of let's get it to use, um, let's get that text uh, into someone else's hands so they can use it. And you know the, the market for e-commerce and technology is growing exponentially. So there's always a secondary buyer, be it in this country or internationally. Ultimately, tech is a global product, so it can be passed on somewhere else, and someone can then make use of it. So, and that's the way we need to be always thinking about this, you know, and, you know, our job uh, in Click is also to help businesses extract commercial value of their devices, um, you know, and that makes it a hell of a lot easier for them. And the incentive then is there for them to then, you know, recycle it and not leave it in the cupboard. Definitely. And um, I think that's probably a good tee up to, to actually move on and talk to you about Click. So um, I know you've given like a couple of brief snapshots, but can you just describe in a bit more detail, like what Click is, like what you do? Yeah, sure. So um, we um, we started the business in yeah, 2019 um, and it, it, the business came from a personal problem. Like I couldn't find anyone that could help me um uh you know adopt a more sustainable approach for my business i was actually doing it myself going back to my repair background i would repair all our devices get them ready even when we got up to like 200 people i'd be the guy still still get them ready and it kind of got to a point where i was like i can't do this anymore i'm too busy and there was no one out there like there was no one that could um you know supply me quality refurbished devices and i'd uh, the problem always is with refurbishers. You buy them from like places like eBay and Black Market. It's a bit of a lottery of what you're going to get because they've had a previous life and you don't know, um, you know, where it's been. And um, generally, a lot of people don't check things. And the re- the commerce market, they kind of just trade them. So they buy them, then they'll move them on. And there was no one really providing that quality of service on the supply side. No one, no one uh, providing it on the repair side and the recycle side. So that's what we intended to do with Click is to build that, you know, full service uh, circular model. Um, and that's what we launched the business with in late 2020. Um, and we started working with some amazing startups, uh, which really helped us shape the proposition. Um, and what we realized is that, um, you know, the opportunity for us or the, the business challenge uh, wasn't just in the devices side. It was also... Uh, in business, it's the, you know, the setup, the day one experience with a staff member, 
um, the cybersecurity side of things. Uh, all of these things are super important to uh, enabling um, you know your teams with the right technology. And for you know sustainability is is great, um, but you know all these other bits are important as well. Um, so that's what we basically now become. We're a full managed service provider for businesses, um, and so we we. Um, manage the hardware device lifecycle of a business. Um, we really um, help you maximize that sustainability benefit. And the big benefit there is the cost savings. So typically we're saving 60, uh, businesses 60 to 70% on their device uh, costs over a uh, you know two-year period. So we always talk to a business about look at the net asset cost. So don't just look at it, what you're going to buy it today for. So yes, we'll save you money on, on the, the buy side of things, but it's it's about what you sell it for and when you sell it at the right right times as well, eventually. Um, and then um, uh, in addition, we have our managed services division where, uh, you know, if an employee is joining, what apps do you want on there? How do you want to manage? Are you, uh, you know, cy- are you going through various accreditations like cyber essentials or ISO accreditations? Are there a certain requirements for those accreditations for your uh, for your staff members, is there certain intellectual property that needs to be locked down on the devices? Um, so we'll manage that entire employee lifecycle now. Uh, so from day one in life, so if an employee has a problem, you know, I don't know, a port fails on the device or um, they're locked out of their device, they've forgotten their password, we'll manage that whole piece. And then the end of life is just as important as day one making sure the employee, um, you know, on, on the final day has a, as good experience as when they joined, but also we're protecting the employee, the employers or the business's data from a cybersecurity point of view, obviously intellectual property and a lot of data breaches happen on that final day from an employee point of view. So we'll manage that whole employee lifecycle. Um, so yeah, that's how the business has kind of started and now evolved. Um, and um, we're essentially, you know, the IT department in in in, in a growing scale up, um, and we we like to work with businesses that are in that growth phase. Um, we believe that we'll we'll serve them really well up to the point in which they become about hundred employees ish, um, because then they start to bring some of that stuff in house, mm-hmm. um, and then we move to more of a fractional relationship. So we start to, you know, just do the device lifecycle piece, or we might provide. A, provide a bit of advisory on, you know, certain other areas. And that's actually happening with a couple of, a uh, couple of our companies now. Um, so we're, we've got a real blend of, of customers, everything from small to very large, like our largest customer, about 1,200 employees. So a, re- a right mix or a real mix of them. Yeah, no, it's a clever model. And, you know, somebody runs a small business, you know, I have been that person at points has had to sort out the laptops. You know, I'm a Windows person, so having to sort out MacBooks is, is like an absolute headache and get the licenses and stuff set up. And and then I saw um, another company that I know started to use Click and I was like, right, sign up for that. And it's, it's been a great, great experience. Um, you mentioned, um, obviously, kind of like starting out and trying with a few startups, like, are you, I know you just explained like where you are today, where you're off this whole kind of full life cycle. Like what was the first like initial concept though? And how did you go about validating that there was like legs in that business? Yeah, so it's funny. So our initial concept, we launched at um, Korea Live. In, so, you know, Korea Magazine, I was actually an investor in, in Korea in the early days. Um, and we actually launched um, a proposition at Korea Live. And all I had was a box and um, some leaflets and what 
the proposition was. And we had nothing, you know, nothing else behind the scenes. I knew I could build a supply chain if I'd been in the market for a long time and all that kind of stuff. And I could build the business processes. But I wanted to test and validate the model with real entrepreneurs. And so um, I must have spoken to personally about 100 businesses over that two-day um, Career Live event they used to run. And that's what really helped us validate the model, um, really. And, um, you know, I found that there was a real business need. Um, and then, um, once I did that, so literally with, with nothing, um, uh, once I did that, we then spent the first six of uh, the next six months, um, you know, building the supply chain, getting the, uh, the stock side of things nailed, uh, really building the workshop team. So what, what was critical and I recognized very early is that no one really had built that hardware team that really understood how to repair, how to deliver that quality of service. And that's what I really invested in early doors. Um, and then, um, yeah. And then, uh, key is getting your first couple of customers. And I, I build that through network. Um, I guess having been in business for, for a while, like, um, you know, the first thing you should do is go, go to your low hanging fruit, um, go out to, you know, your, your LinkedIn circles, your business circles. And, um, yeah, like, you know, probably our first 10, 15 customers just came from network. And then, you know, you give them a great service, you, um, you really look after them and they tell other people and, you know, it's been step by step. We spent nothing on marketing so far. We're mm-hmm. about a 3 million run rate. Um, and we've spent like probably about five grand on marketing, uh, to date. Um, so I, I really believe in B2B, um, you know, it's, 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 it's so different from B2C having had B2C businesses, you know, uh, and B2C, you can really drive Instagram ads and Facebook ads and, you know, that stuff can work in B2B, but really do need those first 10, 20, 50 customers in B2B. Um, uh, yeah. And that's what we've really focused on is, you know, build the service, build, you know, build those reviews and, and, you know, with the intention that hopefully those people will recommend others. Yeah. Well, it sounds like very very early. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It sounds like very early on, you nailed your target audience, like these fast growth businesses that don't want to be messing around with, with their IT needs. Um, and secondly, provide a great service and and they'll talk to each other. So it makes complete sense. Um, in terms of where you get the stock from, like this always intrigued me. Like are you, is, is that stock that your, you know, companies are disposing of and they're, they're passing on to you? Are you buying it off them? Are you, are you going, are you able to get like surplus stuff from certain retailers and wholesalers? Like where is all that stock coming from? It's, it's, um, it's, it's, it's very complicated. <laughs> so, so it's all of the above basically. Um, and majority of our stuff comes directly from supply chain. Uh, so directly from the likes of Apple, Dell, Lenovo, and where their stuff comes from is two, two or three main areas. Firstly, um, let's say someone goes into an Apple shop and buys a new MacBook. They would then trade in their old MacBook and then that goes into a program which we can then pull down devices from. So that's one route. Um, second route is, um, you know, um, uh, Apple um, will take in repaired devices, give a customer a new device, um, and then we can buy in those repaired devices, repair them, and then trade them on. Uh, third route is buying off our customers. Uh, so now, you know, as customers uh, will, um, uh, you know, have employees that are leaving, we can then take some of those devices and and, you know, and that becomes part of our stock. Um, we we often work with businesses um, that are you know doing asset refresh cycles now as well. 
Um, and so, uh, you know, they're, they bring in, you know, new devices and we'll take some of those devices back it, back, back out. Um, I think building my own personal brand through LinkedIn and Instagram and stuff like that has really helped us uh, with, with it a lot as well. So I'd, I'd say that's really helped. Um, and, um, uh, yeah, basically there's a lot of stock out there coming back to the point around, um, you know, 17% of devices are recycled. So there's like, if you imagine like this, there's supply everywhere all over the world. And like coming back to the point I made earlier, that this is a global product. So, uh, you can get stuff from all over the world really. Um, but you know, at the same time we need to, uh, think about our carbon footprint. Now we bring those devices back into the UK. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, um, all of the above, but at the same time, uh, the quality assurance, the, um, you know, the, the process we put those devices through is exactly the same. And I, what I'm really proud about is that, you know, we have an extremely low defect rate, like sub 1%, um, which is, you know, unheard of in, in this space. Um, and that's been our investment in that service delivery team that we have or the, or the hardware team that we've built. So, yeah. A little break from the show. If you're listening and thinking, I'd love to work for a company like this, the good news is you can. Go and visit www.jobsforgood.io, where they only have four good companies on their platform, ranging from social justice to food waste to climate change and much more. You can filter jobs by impact area, preferred way of working, skill sets, and find the perfect company and position for you. So if you do one thing today, check out www.jobsforgood.io. Now back to the podcast. Nice. And obviously, a lot of this conversation has been focused on like hardware and devices, which makes sense because that's the stuff you see you know, yeah. going to the ground. It's having the big environmental impact. How big a part does like the yeah. software have to play from a sustainability perspective? Like as a business, like if you use certain software providers over others, is, is that having a big impact on the planet as well? Or is that not quite as substantial as like the hardware side of things? So definitely plays a part. Um, the... Um, uh, if you think about, uh, the server side of things and, uh, you know, if, if you're, if you're running a software product, data centers and, um, the, the carbon footprint of those data centers, and there is a lot more, uh, noise starting to happen around, um, moving a data centers to more of a carbon neutral model, um, and, uh, and, uh, trying to use, uh, uh, you know, renewable electricity and, and things like that. Um, there isn't a lot of data available around, you know, let's say from Dropbox or, you know, Office 365 or, you know, any of these kinds of guys of what is the carbon footprint uh, of delivering a Dropbox solution per user or things like that. The things, I, the thing I would say to businesses and what we see a lot of is, you know, especially in scale-ups and startups, we, we love our, our new software products, right? We'll always be looking for that next thing that's going to improve our productivity or, um, uh, yeah, like, you know, the, the new whatever app that's come out on uh, the App Store, that thing we've seen on TikTok, and we try it out, right? And then what tends to happen is we, uh, we end up with a load of subscriptions, um, which, you know, three or six months down the line, we then go through this clear up cycles and, um, uh, you know, forget to cancel them and employees leave and forget to cancel things. 
So what I always say to, and what we recommend for all of our businesses is making sure that we, you maintain that strong asset register, not just for your devices, but also for your software products. Um, so, and you get, you get, try and get really focused with which software you're going to use um, and, and then stick to that um, and, and look at obviously new versions and optimizations, but try not to, um, you know, make those changes. But I think the area is going to really come under the spotlight very soon. Um, you know, I think there's going to be a lot more focus and we're actually building a solution ourselves as part of our kind of product that we're building um, to supplement our service model, which is going to really help these businesses um, measure that carbon footprint, um, not just on the hardware side of things, but on the software side of things. Um, and, and that's the key thing is it all starts with measurement, right? Like we've got to start with where are we today and then we can look at how we can improve. Definitely. I can't remember where I read the article, but I think it was about kind of like consumer cloud usage and actually all these people with iPhones and their photos are taken every day that's stored in the cloud and you keep buying a little bit more every month or whatever. And, and actually the amount, the impact that has environment is actually quite staggering. Like you have these huge data centers running to support all of this cloud usage when most people don't even look at most of those photos and it's just like getting to a habit of actually deleting stuff that you don't need. And then um, final question about Click is just like, you know, you just mentioned you're working on that um, that new kind of product. What else have you got planned? What's, what's in store for us over the next year or two coming out of Click that you're excited about? Yeah, so look, we, we, we want to make meaningful change. I think, you know, what we've been able to do um, is get a business model that's kind of out of the, I guess um, I would say startups in the first year are like almost on the emergency table, you know, like, um, and you need to get them off the emergency table and up and kicking. And so we've, we've done that, you know, we're at a point now where we're profitable and we've got a scalable model. Um, And so now it's like, uh, let's really focus on how we can make meaningful change in the business world um, and really help businesses firstly starting in the UK, because we have this big problem here, in this country, we're a sucker for Apple launches and tech launches, clearly. Um, how do we make that meaningful change in businesses? And how do we make it simple for businesses of all sizes to uh, adopt a more sustainable approach? How do we help them and make it simple for them to adopt more circular hardware? And um, so that's what we're laser focused on. And so to do that at scale, we need to we need to build our own uh, product which helps uh, businesses measure their current carbon footprint, um, and uh, and then you know potentially they could use Click as part of that um, process to reduce it, or they could just uh, measure it and you know reduce it themselves. Um, so we're building a software product which will help them do that, um, and you know we see that being across the hardware and the software pay- software space, um, and um, yeah, like you know we wanna we wanna work with. Um, uh, you know, businesses of all sizes to to really bring down our carbon footprint in this country. Um, and then after that, you know, um, plan is to take this international. Um, I think, you know, having the experience that I've had over the last 14 years of, you know, being able to scale businesses. And I, I truly believe that, um, you know, that this business has potential to to scale um, and, and go uh, go everywhere, hopefully. But, you know, the most important thing is that, you know, all the businesses in our space, hopefully we, we help change the mindset of uh, people in the space. And, you know, if we, if in five or 10 years, 
there's been a meaningful change in everyone's consumption habits when it comes to their technology, then that's all that matters, really. You know, that's the most important thing. But, you know, for Click, I'm very ambitious and very hungry with where we can take this. And I believe that we've got the experience um, and the knowledge and the know-how to really take this. Um, So, yeah, it's going to be an exciting ride. Sure. It will be. It will be. Um, and then I guess kind of picking up one of my first comments to you, which was around like you being involved in a number of different ventures and I want to chat to you a bit about kind of your like founder and entrepreneurial journey. Um, just really quickly, yeah. can you just give a rundown of like the current, the other businesses and ventures you're currently involved in and the problems that they're solving? Yeah, sure. So um, uh, I've got basically, um, I, I, I run a, you know, I run a model where I operate businesses and then I invest in businesses and, and take a majority stake and sit on the board and then help that business scale. Um, so an example of that business is Shield, which is, uh, was on Dragon's Den. Uh, I invested in the business with about 100K revenue. Uh, it should do between three and four million this year. So in about three years, we've been able to really scale the business, did a funding round recently. And... Um, uh, yeah, like uh, those those businesses I normally invest in are solo founders are looking for almost like a business partner, but don't want someone that's going to be um, interfering with the day to day side of things. So, um, you know, I'm that uh, agony aunt or you know, that advisory um, uh, and, and you know, really helping the, the founder go to that uh, next level. So my speciality is obviously in this kind of technology space. Uh, Occupyshield is kind of switch, hits two sweet spots. So um, uh, it's the optometry side of things and, and also the technology side of things. The brand's all around digital eye care. And um, I then have an opticians um, uh, business, which I sit on the board for as well, um, which we have uh, 14 opticians uh, stores. Um, so um, that's actually uh, part of my family business Um portfolio so my mum helped start that many years ago um and then um uh yeah i, I also have a um a telecoms business which uh was the one that i first started and still going <laughs> 14 years later so um uh i guess central to that has been building a strong team and uh, what i've been able to do over the years is really try really build that middle management and that's really key because that really you know, helps you free up so that you can then go on to that next thing to um, to build. And I, where I'm, I'm a builder. You know, I'm good in this early phase. I'm not good at the the phase where you know you you kind of need to um, uh, you know keep it consistent. And uh, you know, I'm I'm better suited to this earlier phase where it needs that aggression and it needs that growth. Um, and uh, and then I bring in the right people to uh, manage it through the next phase. Yeah, no, it's really interesting. I mean, I was going to ask like, how you make it work, which you, you just answered. Like, it sounds like you've got a, a model that works very well for you and, and leverages your 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 skills. Um, I guess so far on the podcast and just in general, when you speak to people, like you always hear the the positive stuff, the the things that went well. What's What's been like your yeah. biggest failure to date, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, sure. So um, I actually had a uh, uh, business failure in twenty. 20- 2019, um, it was. So it was uh, a business which I lost personal wealth of about three to four million pounds. Um, so um, it hit, hit, hit me hard. Um, and um, and that, that came from, I think, um, with the, the first business, um, where you have success, you get 
complacent. You, um, uh, you know, you forget what got you there. You forget the kind of hustle that got you to that position. And uh, you start to like um, throw money at things and bring in uh, so-called experts. Um, And um, uh, yeah, like, you know, we just, we had too much money and you see it on like, you know, if we talk about Dragon's Den, you'll often see Deborah say, oh, you know, this is a business with um, too much money. You've got too much money. And and that was a classic problem that we had, actually. We had too much money um, and we were throwing money at things. And uh, and that was the key reason why we failed. And um, as well as other things. Um, But um, yeah, like when you lose personal wealth of that level, it stays with you every Mm. single day. Um, And um, uh, yeah, like, so uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I, I don't want anyone to go through that journey. It's partly why I actually really enjoy now working with other founders because I, you know, I've got those warning signals now as well, like of, you know, what can go wrong. And um, I would say business is not about taking risks, it's about managing risks. Um, and, um, uh, you know, it's it's really is managing that journey. Of course, you've got to take risks, but the management of those, those risks are super important as well. So, um yeah, like, uh, and, you know, like any, any of these failures, like, um, they are there as learning opportunities and it's a journey, right? Like, and, um, you know, and people will say that to you. I remember, I remember early doors, everyone would say, you have to fail, you have to fail, but it's hard when you fail. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, um, yeah. yeah, especially I think on that scale, that's, that's pretty sobering, but then that's, probably that check that you needed at that point and that's going to make you a better entrepreneur in the long term so it's, it's that thing like you, you, you're glad it happened you just don't want it to happen to anyone else if you can you can stop it um to talk about dragon's den for a little moment um because it must be a really interesting experience like what made you decide to go on the show with Ock shield in the first place so the business was going through a lot of growth at the time so um the pandemic happened and people obviously on their devices all the time and there's a lot of YouTube content started to happen around blue light, uh, which is, was the particular product that Shield um, has kind of specialized in. Uh, so we, we went from, you know, I think like, you know, 500k run rate to like uh, one and a half million, like pretty much overnight. And so we had that slipstream. And uh, I guess, um, you know, Dragon's Den is a, is a, you know, we all, me and Drubin always have loved Dragon's Den. And we felt, having spoken to other founders that have been on there, the impact it's had on their brand. Um, and yeah, like uh, we applied, um, it took like multiple rounds, you go through process and um, uh, yeah, we, you know, uh, luckily we, we, we got in. I think the fact that it was such a good fit brand for the time as well, obviously made a, made a big difference because, you know, people's eyes, people were feeling like they were struggling with their eyes and headaches and, you know, being going from using their tech from maybe four or five hours to 10, 12 hours a day and things like that. Um, so yeah, and it transformed the business like overnight, uh, we pretty much, um, increased our sales by 20, 30%. Um, you know, and it, and it stuck as well. That's the interesting thing about Dragon's Den is that the revenue has not tailed off. Um, it's actually, you know, it's like a gasoline on the, on the business and it's continued and you can continue to use, um, the content from there on ads and, and still today, two and a half years later, we still use it. Um, you know, it's about, it's a fantastic validation point, 
um, you know, everyone knows that that picture of the of the den, and yeah, yeah. you know, everyone's watched the program, and so and you know, if you get investment as well, like you kind of can't go wrong. And do you find like the the real boost comes from just being on the show and the natural PR, like whether you whether you get investment or not, like it, it just transforms a business who actually has. Because I think you've got two dragons in the end. Because I, I, I watched it, and I think you managed to negotiate. You had two dragons competing, and you managed to get them both on side. Has having the dragons as well, yeah. like, does that do a lot for the business? Or do you, in reality, it's like a limited amount of time you get with them, or it's more like their teams. So um, the the truth of the matter is, uh, a lot of investments don't go through at the end, um, and ours didn't go through. Okay. Um, so um, we didn't we didn't go ahead with the deal, Peter and and Tedge. Um, and there's various reasons for that. Um, but, um, uh, if I talk about, you know, post show, like, um, the, the exposure, the association, the affiliation, um, but also like when the BBC also posts again on YouTube, because often what happens is that you get a video. So that's your first kind of, uh, boost. And then you can use that content, um, slice it up and put it on different channels. Uh, then you get another boost when the BBC repost it on YouTube, um, and and then they'll keep on doing that. So they'll they'll they're always looking for new content, and um, so they'll keep on driving it. But also like that can then lead on to other articles and PR articles and things like that. So Drew and use that to then do get a spotlight on BBC. I think they did like an entrepreneur spotlight, um, sixty seconds, I think it was. And so you use that to then get into other things. So it's, it becomes like a, a piece you can then send on to people and say, you know, this is the this is me, this is what I've done, blah, 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 this is my business. And it's just a door opener. And he finds that when he does his LinkedIn outreach, it's a massive door opener immediately. You know, he's been able to he's been able to convert more business through LinkedIn than he did previously. So these are some of the kind of untalked about uh, things, I think. Um I'd highly recommend anyone that has a product-based business. So Dragon's Den doesn't like service-based businesses. They don't do service-based businesses from what I understand. Um, if you have a product-based business or a digitally focused business, so you've got an app or something, um, do it. Like it's the cheapest form of marketing that you can you can possibly find. This, you know, it's free, right? Like, and they don't take, it's not like Shark Tank in the US where they take an equity stake. It, there's nothing, nothing like that here. Uh, BBC takes nothing. Yeah, no, it's a good point. I mean, a couple of people I know um, have been on there. One recently was the founder of OnHand that I know quite well. And, he, you know, the next few weeks after the show aired, he was like, Craig, I can't talk. Yeah. <laughs> this is this is another level of publicity and, and like get, getting out yeah. there. But you have to maximise it, like you said, and you've got to be clever and, and, and really leverage everything you can from that experience. Um, last couple of bits for me, I said, was, um, you know, when I was looking at your business as well, like the theme I noticed was, I, I believe they're all or nearly all uh, B Corp certified. I wondered, you know, why is that important to you? And kind of similar again, like, you know, why is that, why do you think that's, what difference do you think that makes from an internal and external perspective? Yeah, sure. So um, I, I've, I really believe in the framework, first of all, it's the first thing I'd say. Uh, so, you know, as in the way to build a business, you know, uh, people, uh, purpose, you know, it, it is so important how you treat your people, the frameworks, um so it's a framework for business of the future so i think the first thing i'd say is that so um you know really adopting that in your businesses uh, will make for happier employees uh you know happier customers happier business practices so that's the kind of 
I guess, softer side or like, you know, from a, from a framework point of view and how you should build a business and how you scale your business. Um, the other side of it is, um, you know, the commercial side, and we should talk freely about that. I think it's important to, um, businesses in who are B Corps, uh, some, you know, they prefer to do business with other B Corps. Um, so, and often I find myself, if I'm buying something or getting a service, I'd rather give it to a B Corp, right? Because, uh, they will have very similar values and alignment and, you know, even like terms and conditions, you don't need to argue over certain points. They've already thought about it because they're a business for good, right? They care about customers and treating people properly and doing things right. And so it's inherent in the values and of that business and how they operate. Um, so, th- so there's that side of things where you will get business and, uh, you will do business with other B Corps. Uh, the community is phenomenal. Like, um, the events they hold, they held one last week. Um, like some of the speakers they get, um, and the network you can build and how that can turbocharge your business. They, they are a fantastic organization. They're a charity and, you know, they're there to make sure that you're successful as a B Corp as well. So they really want to help push you and connect you with people and things like that. Um, and then finally, I'd say customers really are recognizing it now as a mark. And there are customers that won't buy off anything other than B Corp. So if you're, your product-based business from a positioning point of view um it's like a must like you've got to you've got to go down the front it's it's no longer a kind of um you know nice to have i think it's like i'd say it's a must-have now you know for any business it's going to become the new iso in my opinion like um you know in terms of like a framework for how you operate your business like you're going to have isos like i you know we're applying for our iso 27001 and then you'll have b corp you know, like that's like another framework of how you operate your business. It's going to be interesting how those two do they start working together, you know, like things like that. Um, so, uh, but yeah, like I think um, there's so, so many benefits. I, you know, again, I just recommend doing it across every, every business. If, if you're like me, you're building a portfolio, you get consistency of recruitment, you know, um, you know, hiring talent, people, you know, want to work for B Corps. Um, you know, being able to share the cultures in, in your businesses, like, you know, now I'd say, oh, my car, you know, whether it's the opticians business or the tech business, it doesn't matter. Like, you know, I think I've got people that are all of the similar values because they all believe in what we believe in. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's three, the, the impacts are 360. It's both internal, external sales, marketing It's it's brilliant. Definitely. And, and you started to touch there on kind of recruitment and hiring. Um, I always like to ask founders, um, especially kind of focus on the early stages, like what advice uh, or like lessons have you learned? Um, like what, what's key to, to getting hiring right in those early stages of the business? Yeah. So I, I always start with something quite boring, which is your job spec. Um, I'm a stickler for a job spec. Um, so I think his job spec is super important. Um, not only like, uh, what you write in it, but how you present it, tone, the language, uh, you know, as well as the very clear job responsibilities. And I saw an amazing job spec the other day from a, from another company, and they really have spent the time to make sure the copy and everything really sells the opportunity. Um, and I think too many, too many people just like, you know, skirt over the job spec. 
Um, you know, if it's a more senior role, I'll also do things like Google Slides and really sell it, like, um, you know, really prepare a pack. So almost the, when they, you know, get, they want more information on the company, they really get like a real document. Um, so that's the first, first thing I'd say is really invest that time in that. Uh, second, um, you know, think about that customer journey for that candidate. So they're going to look you up. Is your channels right? Is your LinkedIn channels right? Is your Instagram channels right? You know, like all those touch points. And often when I work with recruiters, I'll say, use this, use Dragon's Den, use LinkedIn, use Instagram, send it on to candidates. Um, so making it easier to generate that conversion. Um, third, uh, make sure you free your diary up, invest the time in recruitment, like you got to act fast, like, you know, good candidates will not last, right? You've got to be on the money. And, um, so get that, um, person in, get that first stage in it's, this is much about you selling it as well as them selling themselves, especially in that first, uh, first date, should we call it. Um, and then, um, you know, after that, um, be thorough, you know, be, be thorough in the process. It doesn't mean you need to have 10 stages of interviews, um, but be thorough in the time that you spend in that second stage and that third stage. Um, you know, make sure you, you dot the I's, cross the T's. Um, and, you know, if you, if you need to do trial days, I, I'm doing that more recently, you know, getting someone in for like, you know, pay them a consultant rate, get them in for a day, uh, see the personality fit, meet the team, uh, depending on how senior it is. You just don't want to make mistakes, right? It's not good for anyone when you make a mistake uh, and it's not a fit then. And I always find that where the mistakes happen are always the small things, like the cultural side of things. You just spot things after they start that you're like, oh, like uh, just, you know, that small thing. Um, and then once they do start, it's, you know, no one's perfect, right? Um, like um, I was watching this Indian matchmaking program on Netflix about marriage. And this lady talks about like, as long as you have 70% matching, 70%, it's okay. Get married. Yeah. And it's, 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 um, yeah, I'm not sure about the same thing, but, but I think it's the same thing with, um, with hiring. You ain't going to get the perfect, the perfection, right. In everything, right. You need to kind of work on that. And that's where your coaching and, you know, your post employment, when they start process, then needs to kick in. If they've got, um, most of what you want, you need to kind of then, uh, work on that development plan. Uh, for posts when they when they um when they start oh a ton of good advice in there <laughs> i think if uh, I'm, I'm sure click will never fail but if ever did it sounds like you've got a career in recruitment anyway <laughs> and crack the formula i've always thought to myself if i want to do a recruitment business one day i actually really enjoy it um but yeah not not now <laughs> <laughs> nice well i said look i um it's been a real pleasure chatting to you on the show today um I know you've got a number of businesses um, for Click specifically, like where's best to follow Click on socials for anyone interested in finding out more? Yeah. So, um, uh, uh, you know, my, my LinkedIn profile, um, I was regularly posting about, um, you know, sustainable technology. So definitely give, give us a follow, um, click LinkedIn and then, yeah, check us out on our website and get in touch. You, you know, um, even if you just want to have an initial chat, uh, no problems can, you know, love to um I'm, I'm just really keen to connect with more founders and um you know and uh spread the good vibes more than anything right and you know hopefully one day we can do business together but it's more about um us all helping each other in, in this uh, crazy rat race that we're in right so um yeah get in touch definitely is cool well um again thanks for coming on and um i'm sure we'll catch up soon 
Thanks, Craig. Thank you so much. That's it for today's episode. Thanks for listening. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe and leave a review. Better yet, tell a friend about the show. The more people we can get involved, the more hope we have for making the world a better place. This episode was brought to you by Craig Turner, produced by Jabril Al-Sahami and sponsored by Jobs for Good. Until next time.